Absolutely fine, wonderful. Thanks, Abby. So um, we've come to, the, come to the end of our well-being series. Some of you have been engaging with that. We still have one or two books left. If you wanted to purchase one, we want you to miss out. 50 Days of Donation. Uh, didn't... No, we'll go with 50 Days of Donations, please. <laughs> Devotions. There you go, a bit of a slip. You know, if that's a word for some of you this morning, that's fine. <laughs> 50 Days of Devotion. I love it. That's great, isn't it? Um, and it was about, this one was about finance. No, it wasn't. That was last week. <laughs> this is about um, calling. It was to do with our vocational calling. And um, God having a purpose for us, that's where uh, the term vocation comes from. He has a calling for us and he has something for us. I hope that following Christ or when you began to follow in Christ, you had that sense of purpose that he has something for us. Uh, now, last week, uh, Dave Newton, when he spoke, uh, I, early on in his message, he, he asked us, he says, when did God last speak to you? Because he talked about how we should hear the, the still, small voice of God upon our lives. And he says, when did God speak to you, and what have we done about what he has said to us? Now, for some of us, we might, in general, know the direction that he has placed upon our lives. But the question is, will we do it? Will we go? Uh, I remember Wendy and myself praying for one of our close uh, family members, one of our parents, actually, and we prayed for them over a number of years. Uh, I wasn't brought up to go to church, so he's one of my parents. And I remember that we were chatting. I, I can't remember quite where we were, but this person said that they had a, they'd had a dream and Jesus was in it. So we were really excited because we'd been praying for them for years. And he says, what happens in the dream? And he says, well, in the dream... Um, I came to this kind of fork in the road, and uh, there's this direction that I could continue going, but Jesus in the dream was saying, you need to come with me in this direction. Now, we were really excited at this point. So, we says, you know, everything about us was thinking, well, what did you do? And, um, and they were so excited about having the dream that they didn't do anything. And um, then somebody else butted into the conversation and we had to leave it. And, and the question is, we might know the direction that God wants us to go, but will we go? And we might be heading in the right direction, but will we keep going? You see, on Palm Sunday, as has been alluded to by, by Isaac, that many came and celebrated and parted and praised when Jesus came into uh, Jerusalem because of the miracles that they'd seen him do and heard about, but their commitment was quite short-lived. And then this Palm Sunday, um, we even hear and read as we go on how Jesus himself, dare I say it, appears a little bit hesitant at the direction of which he was heading into. And he says, uh, Right after this kind of a, this party in Jerusalem, he says this, My soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? And a little bit later on in the Garden of Gethsemane, we read, um, when Jesus says, Lord, Father, could there be another way? And even Jesus, you get the impression, was looking for a little bit of a way out of going to the cross. Now, I say that hesitantly, um, 
But there is a little bit of hesitation here. Can there be another way? Now, this is quite extraordinary because things were going well up to this point, and, and if they, it appears as if they come to this great crescendo where the, the crowd uh, loved who Jesus was, and the Pharisees were really jealous. And they said, we can't do anything about this because it looks as if the whole world will continue to will, will follow him and, and fall in love with him if we don't do anything about this. Now, this morning, I wonder whether you've ever felt like quitting from something that you're in, that you know that you should stay in, stay upon, or want to divert from a direction in which you have been heading. And for us, it's not so much growing, going to the cross, but it could be a family situation that we feel like quitting uh, with. Um, families can offend us a lot. We've been talking about that recently, how we can offend each other, even within families. And sometimes we wonder, you know, why families fall out so much? Well, maybe because we're so passionate, there's so much emotion involved. Have we felt like quitting something? Are we in a work situation we feel hesitant with, and, and even to the point at times of feeling like quitting? You might feel like that every Monday, Monday morning, I don't know, but sometimes we do feel like quitting. We might be in a church situation, might even be church. There's times when we feel, I just want to quit. I don't want to keep going with this. It might be with your study I'm sure that's often uh, that can happen for those of the students. Sometimes if we feel in, in between something and, and, and God's directive for us is to wait. Sometimes we want to quit that, don't we? We don't want to be patient. We don't want to be in this land between. And uh, we say, God, you know, maybe we think, I've had enough of this, but God wants us to be patient. Now, God gives us periods where he strengthens us, where he prepares us where he looks for a level of perseverance. And uh, sometimes the best things need us to go that extra mile, that extra little bit, to persevere. Now, that's always easy, or it's easier when we know that it's something that God wants us to do. It's a lot easier to persevere when we have this sense God has called us to do this. Now, I remember when I was uh, quite a bit younger, and I had a choice as to whether... Well, it wasn't really a choice, but it feels as if there was two options. One was to go to Bible college, and one was to go and do a year out and be an evangelist. And I have to say, I was really more excited about doing a year out being an evangelist than going to Bible college. Now, I'm glad that Dave Newton's not here this morning, because he he's the head of Regents. He talked about people going to Regents last week. It wasn't Regents College I was going to, and I would encourage people, if God is calling you to do that, to do it. And I was really praying into this. God, I really want to do this. Please don't let it be this. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. And I remember having lunch on a Thursday with one of our youth leaders in the centre of Derby. Uh, Andy, he's really good. Spent a lot of time with him after I became a Christian. Met up every week. Really encouraging. And um, he said to me, he says, Phil, he says, next week we're all going off to this Christian conference in Capenry Hall. He says, why don't you come with us? And there's about 20 or 30 going from the church. Well, I said, well, I can't go because I've got a job. I'm working. And uh, I haven't got the time off. It's too, far too short notice. So I go back to work in the afternoon on that Thursday afternoon. And on my desk are two pay packets. And they, the pay came, comes in these very small brown envelopes because signified how little I got paid, really. And, uh, and there was two of them. 
And you got, you got paid in cash back then, if you remember that. Anyway, you got paid in cash, and there was two of these envelopes. Now, I straight away went to see the uh, accountant, uh, a grumpy man, and who didn't like giving money away at the best of times, so there's no way he'd made a mistake giving away money. No way. And I went in and I asked him, I said, you've given me two pay packets this morning. He says, yes. He says, because I have you down as being on holiday next week. <laughs> well, news to me. News to me. And um, so I got in touch with my this, our youth leader says, I'm coming next week. I just got a feel, feeling that I should be going. And uh, when I went that week, when I went that week, on at least three or four occasions, nobody said to me, Phil, I think you should be an evangelist. All of them said, we think you should go to Cliff Bible College. And uh, do you know what? Even though I didn't want to go, when you have a sense this is what God wants, it is completely different. It turns the whole situation around. Now, I'd love, to say, I'd love to say that I went to Bible college for a year and loved it. I did not. Because you lived in community with another hundred Christians, and I was not great in that setting. Didn't do anything wrong. It was just a little bit much for me. And, um, and then they invited me back for a second year. Because they invite eight people back, which is a good thing, but I really didn't. But there's a big difference when you know that it's something that God wants you to do. And in 2 Peter 1 verse 5 says this, Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance. There's times where God puts us in situations and we're on the right path, but the important thing to do is to persevere. And even Jesus was tested with persevere when he says, Father, is there not another way? But he persevered. Within all this, with all that was going on, Jesus was able to keep his focus. Because he said, as I said, that he said, Father, save me from this hour. And then he says, no, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Now, you see, with this account and all the way through the, the Bible, God decides what glorifies his name. God decides the actions that we take that will bring glory to him. And here we see this crowd cheering in Jerusalem because of what had just happened. A large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And, and then it says, so the chief priest came and made plans to kill Lazarus as well. But there was party time because they heard about Jesus being raised from the dead. The religious leaders didn't like this. So the religious leaders thought, well, let's kill Lazarus because then the evidence is gone. The only problem with that plan is that if Jesus raises him from the dead again, it looks even better, doesn't it? So they had a plan B, let's kill them both. That was their plan. Let's try and kill Jesus as well. But that falls right into God's hands, doesn't it? 
because Jesus dies and he's raised to life as well. God knows, God chooses what it is to glorify his name. And Jesus prayed. He says, glorify your name, Father. And then a voice comes from heaven and says, I have glorified it and I am about to glorify it again. God knows what it means for him to be glorified. So Jesus keeps his focus. He's determined not to be distracted. And as I said, there's a lot going on here. The crowd are going wild. It's hard for us to uh, appreciate. There's this spontaneous party, this celebration that we now know as Palm Sunday and celebrate 2,000 years later. But Jesus was determined not to be distracted, not even by his new fan club. And in John 12, as this is going on, this is what happens. He says that there were some Greeks among them who, wanted, who came to worship in Jerusalem as well. They came to Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, who was from Bethsaida, who was also from Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Now, on the face of it, that seems good. So Philip told Andrew... Andrew and Philip go to Jesus, and they say that these people from Galilee want to see you. Well, Jesus produced most of his miracles actually within Galilee, the Decapolis, the ten cities that go around Galilee. Jesus produces most of his miracles, and basically he was saying, we've heard about Lazarus. Jesus, won't you come back and do another tour? When you come back and do loads more miracles, because we loved it the first time, we realize now that you're doing even bigger miracles. Will you come back and do another tour in the Decapolis around Galilee? But that wasn't Jesus' agenda. And Jesus replies to them, he says this, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Unless a uh, uh, kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Whoever serves me must follow me. God chooses what it is to glorify him. And God's agenda was not for Jesus to go back and do another tour of miracles, which what they saw it as. Jesus says, the hour has come. And you see this all the way through Jesus' ministry, that there's times that some kind of unique or strange things happen that bring glory to God because God chooses what it is to bring glory to him. And possibly one of the strangest things that we see right back at the start of Jesus' ministry, Jesus gets baptized. And even John the Baptist couldn't comprehend with this uh, because John was good at baptism. And we call him John the Baptist. And he, Jesus comes and, and basically John says, whoa, no, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. You know, you should baptize me. I should not be baptizing you. But Jesus says, doesn't it, so that all righteousness can be fulfilled. And as Jesus comes up out of the water, it says that the Holy Spirit descends on him uh, as if it was like a, a dove, doesn't it? And a voice from heaven says this, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So God determines what it is that brings glory to his name. And here's Jesus getting baptized, and we think he doesn't need to, but it brings glory to his name. And even though Jesus knew that he was the Son of God, there's something that God the Father wanted to do to was to seal that, 
this is my beloved son. And there's something about baptism that doesn't mean that we're not children of God unless we do get baptized, but it's something that, that seals something within our hearts, within our lives, that confirms that we belong to God. So God chooses what it means for us to obey him. Now, Jesus was greatly helped, we know, by drawing these uh, 12 guys to be alongside him. And even though we might not fully appreciate that they helped him, Scripture gives evidence that they were helpful to him, that Jesus was modeling something here. Now, even though the 12 didn't quite fully appreciate or understand or grasp the direction that Jesus was going in, the direction of travel. They didn't fully understand the cross because we know that because when Jesus, months before, tried to explain to them that he was going to go to the cross, Peter was having none of it, was he? You're not going there. This is going too well. You you know, going to the cross, being crucified, how can that be on God's agenda? And what did Jesus say? He says to Peter, uh, he rebuked him, didn't he? He says, get behind me, Satan. He said, he knew where this was coming from. And uh, even though he loved Peter, he, Jesus was determined not be, to be distracted from the direction of travel that he was going on. Having said that, these 12 were very good friends of his. He loved them. He, he had chose them. He prayed overnight to choose those that he knew the Father wanted him to choose that were going to do him good and that was going to be a blessing uh, to the church for the next few generations. And Jesus takes them into the garden, doesn't he, as his most, most troubled times, when Jesus was sweating what looked like drops of blood. And it's with these guys, and not so much his family, that he takes to pray with them. Now, they struggle to pray for a whole hour. We know that, don't they? Can't you just pray for an hour? Uh, and they couldn't pray for an hour. But they were the people who he took uh, with him. And even within a crowd of thousands you can have this sense of being on your own. You can have this sense of being uh, isolated. Now, one of the largest crowds I ever see was, is when I go to football matches, unless it's Birmingham City. Um, but in most others, you, you see a large crowd. And I remember once going to see my team, Derby County, play they, about an hour away. And uh, I knew that the ground was going to be packed. And it's not for the first time that I think I've kind of booked purchase the last ticket at the last moment so I get this ticket and when I go in it's packed and I take my seat and it's right in the middle of this row and they're very long rows so there's probably about 30 seats in this row and I go and I sit bang in the middle of this row the whole ground is full except 15 seats to my right and 15 seats to my left. I really felt like Billy No Mates. That 30,000 people were probably looking thinking, he's got no friends. Or there's something going on here. Why is it? He's got 15 seats one side, 15 seats the other. Every other seat is full. Ten minutes into the match... Fifteen teenage girls come and sit on my right. Fifteen teenage girls come and sit on my left. They are the cheerleaders. 
And I thought, you could have put me in a seat on the end, couldn't you? Why am I seated? Why does this happen to me? That this 15 females, coming, I've got nothing against females, got nothing against cheerleaders. They were not interested in football at all. And they were talking over me, not interested in the football. So there is me, listening to their conversations, while 30,000 other people were doing something normal and focusing on the football. Now, thankfully, at halftime, got nothing against them. Ten minutes before halftime, they're obviously going to perform at halftime, and off they go. Then for the next 15 minutes, there's me sitting on my own. 15 seats this side, 15 seats that side. It's brilliant. It's going to happen to me. God lets these things to happen to give preachers illustrations. That's why these things happen. <laughs> so you can be within a crowd, even within a church, and still feel as if you're on your own. You feel... Uh, isolated. And do you know it's good for us to have people to our right and to our left that stand with us, that stay with us during these particular times. And Joel Kaminsky um, believes, uh, he's wrote a book, The Future of the Church, and in it he talks about things like small groups, connect groups, and he says this, um, people join a, a, a small group because of the vision for life together deeper discipleship, and the call to take the gospel into every area of their lives and everyday life. Something has taken their soul and moved them to follow Christ both inside and out. And that's the reason that you have, you connect with people who are like-minded. Because we don't want just to intend to do these things. We want to be intentional about doing these things. We want to see it through. We want to do it. And Jesus sets a model when he gathers these guys around him, alongside him. So Jesus keeps his focus. He perseveres. And he trusts the Father's timing. He trusts God's timing. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. For this very hour in the history of the world, Jesus says, the time has come. Now, in some respects, he might not have felt the best time. He didn't necessarily look the best time because things were going so well. And I think that was Peter's problem. Why go to the cross now when things are going so well? The whole world is seemingly as if they're going to follow you. And it felt like with all the miracles that something of the kingdom of God was advancing. You know, Jesus said, doesn't he, that he said that if you see somebody healed, when I pray for them, they're healed. Or if you pray for them, then they're healed. Then the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at work. The kingdom of God is advancing. Something is happening. So it didn't seem as if it was a good time because it felt as if something of the kingdom of God was advancing. But Scripture tells this, that the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy all the works of the evil one. All the works of the evil one. So he might have looked good with the miracles, but going to the cross, something very different was happening. Jesus came to destroy all the works of the evil one, not just a few advances of the kingdom of God. And the Bible tells us that, that Jesus came into the world at the right time. Let me encourage you 
that the Father has set the time for Jesus to come back. He has that time within his hands. And Romans 5 verse 6 says this, At just the right time, while we were still sinners, Christ died. At the right time. The hour has come. This was the right time. So these times when God asks us to persevere, to stay focused, to be patient. There's times when God encourages us, calls us to take important steps for us. And there are seasons when that happens. There are seasons when God's, you know, I'm sure God says, keep going, keep going. And then there's times when, I know in my life, when he says, you need to now take a significant step forward into something. And Jesus says, the hour has come. And maybe that's something for you this morning. I remember once being at uh, uh, inter-church worship event in the northeast of England. There's about six or seven people there. We had a uh, speaker come over who was well-known, came to speak. And uh, the worship time was fantastic, really good. And I don't know about you, that um, during worship, uh, I really work hard to, to focus on worship because your mind can wander onto a lot of things. But in this time of worship, I really felt that God draw my attention to something that he wanted me to take a step of faith in. And it was a strange experience. Now, when I explain it, it might sound really kind of simple to you, but for me, it was incredibly significant. Because I felt as if I was standing there worshipping, I was rooted to the spot, which is, which is fine because you stand and you worship. But there's something that I knew that God was challenging me to take a step forward in. And I, I just felt at that moment within God's presence that my decision to do this was going to be symbolized by me simply taking a step forward, although it didn't feel simple. Because I knew that if I took this step forward as I stood there in worship, I knew that I was doing, going to do it. I knew that I was doing business with God in that moment, that if I took this step forward, then I was making a decision to do it. And it might seem simple, but it was, my feet felt like lead because I knew if I take this step in this time in God's presence, in this time in worship, I would not be able to take a step back. I just knew that I could never do that. The issue for me was the church I belonged to at the time. We'd been looking and at CAP for a number of years and for two years, 18 months, whether we should run a CAP centre where we were. And we had kind of thrashed out every possible question that you could have. Any objection that you could have to doing it. We really, really worked around it. We knew how we'd get the first two years of money. After that, though, it would be a step of faith. But we had discussed it and discussed it and discussed it and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And you know, there's nothing worthwhile that God will call us to do that will not mean there will be an element of faith with it. There will always be an element of faith. There will always be a feeling, well, what if this happens or what if that happens? But God will not allow us to do something for him significant that doesn't take a level 
of faith because it says otherwise, isn't it? You know, it's got to be, it's got to be him. And it was as if God was saying, Phil, you've discussed this. You've discussed this. I'm not going to give you any more. It was as if God said, I am not going to give you any more. It's either a step that you take or a step that you don't take. And within that worship, before the speaker got up, I did. I just took that step. I just knew it was right. You know, the Bible says, doesn't it? Ask, seek, and knock. We ask, and then we seek, we discuss it, we chat to people. Then there's a time when we've got, we've got to go. We've got to make this move. I mean, God's, you know, there's times when God said, I'm not going to give you any more. I'm not going to write it anymore. I'm not going to confirm it anymore. There's times where you just, t- that step, yeah, God, I'm actually going to do it. And for some of you this morning, that might be where you are. It may be a place where you, God is saying, persist. For some, it might be a state, God saying, no, take this step. And Jesus says, the hour has come. Now, just to conclude, just to conclude, getting back to Palm Sunday uh, as I finish. So they take these palm branches and they go out because they know Jesus is coming down the road, shouting, Hosanna, and uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they lay on the ground on the road, we know this, palm branches and cloaks. Now for many years, I thought, why palm branches and cloaks? Was it because they were the only things at hand at that moment in time, and there might be something in that? But, but the Bible Do you know the Bible interprets the Bible for us, doesn't it? The Bible explains the Bible for us. And why palm branches? Well, in Revelation uh, chapter 7, verse 9, John, uh, the writer of Revelation who has the vision, has this vision of heaven. And in chapter 7, he records it. And he says, There before me in this vision was a multitude no one can count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne, and they were wearing white robes and holding palm branches. They cried out loudly, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation belongs to our God. And then Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, a prophecy is written hundreds of years before, of what would happen on what we now call Palm Sunday. And in Zechariah, verse 9, says this, Rejoice greatly, see your king comes to you righteous and having salvation riding on a donkey. So salvation, salvation was coming to Israel and those who would call on the name of the Lord. But why, why coats, why coats? Now, we think that uh, traditionally that laying down your coat for somebody to walk o- over is an act of chivalry. But it's not really, not biblically. So the other account where we see people laying down their coats was when King uh, Jehu becomes king, and he becomes Israel's king. Recording 2 Kings chapter 9, it says, They hurried, took their cloaks, and spread them uh, under him on the bare steps, Then they blew their trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. So it was done when somebody was going to be anointed or being anointed as king. Jehu was not a great king. Jesus is a great king. He is the king of kings. 
He is the Lord of Lords. And even though they didn't quite fully understood it, they thought, he is the one that is bringing us salvation, palm branches. Here is the one who truly is worthy to be king. We're going to lay down our cloaks there. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. How much more should we worship him as our king? Hebrews chapter 12, the first three or four verses says this. Let me finish with this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. God calls us to remain focused, to perseverance, and to take important steps. I'm going to invite the band uh, up now. They're going to come and join me. And we're going to sing one song. We might sing two. We'll see how uh, we go. But we've been sitting for uh, quite a while, so why don't you join me in uh, standing? That would be good if you're able to do that, if you're happy to do that. And the band are going to sing a great old uh, song or, or chorus uh, called King of Kings, Majesty, God of Heaven Living in Me. And this morning, because um, on Palm Sunday they had this act of, this act of symbolism, didn't they? That uh, they got these palm branches and they got the, their coats. Now we haven't got any palm branches, we haven't got any palm crosses, I know. We haven't got any palm branches this morning. But this morning, as we sing this particular song, King of Kings, Majesty, God of Heaven, Living in Me, if you feel as if you want to come and lay down your, your coat or cloak or jumper um, at the front of a sign saying, Lord, I'm really grateful that you are king, really grateful for your majesty, really grateful for your salvation, why don't you do that as an act of worship? Maybe you want to do it because saying, Lord, I, I really need to keep my focus at this moment in time. I need to persevere with something. And for you, coming laying that down is, is a demonstration, God, I'm going to persevere with this. It's difficult, but I know that you want me to persevere. It may be that there's something that you know that you need to obey God in. And uh, by doing it this morning, saying, God, I am going to do this. I am going to take this step. I know that you've called me to do something. You've been saying it for a while. You don't need to keep saying it because I'm going to do it. And by laying it down, then you're saying that. It may be for you, it is baptism or something else. But it's a way of uh, as doing business with God this morning, saying, God, I do worship you. You are king. But also, I hear what you're saying to me. I'm going to honor it. And you might want to come as we worship to come and lay a garment of clothes here. You will get them back, don't worry. We're not going to send them to Ukraine or anywhere like that, so you will be fine. But let me pray, because for some this might be meaningful for you this morning. Lord, we do thank you for what is recorded in Scripture. We thank you, Lord, that you, in Scripture, explain what it is. 
And Lord, it's not just something from the past. It's something that you want to use and to work in our lives. And this morning, as we've said that, Lord, you're so good to us that you want to continue your work. And we pray, Lord, for these last few moments together that you would work within us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to respond to what you are doing within us. And, Father, what you're calling us to do. So these moments, Lord, these next few moments, Lord, may they be uh, holy moments. May they be holy moments in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.